Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We're going to be doing it a little bit differently throwing a little bit of a curveball at you guys as this episode is going to be a presentation that I actually gave a few weeks ago to the American Hockey Coaches Association and typically anybody can sign up for this thing um, but what happens as a college coach every year we all head down uh, men's division one women's division one men's division three women's division three club and everybody and everything in between we go down to Naples Florida uh, we do our league meetings, and then we have some professional development type stuff. Uh, Jeff went down there a few years back uh, with the Gel Sticks crew, um, and it's a bunch of professional development. They bring a bunch of speakers that come um, on top of the meetings that you do, and uh, I've been fortunate enough and humbled to be asked. Uh, this is the fourth time that I've been asked to uh, to speak at this convention. The first two that I went down there uh, were in person. <laughs> the last two were via Zoom uh, with the whole COVID situation that we've been dealing with over the past year or so. Um, but uh, this year, uh, the presentation that I gave to all the coaches, and there were over 300 coaches that ended up being on the call, whether it was college or anybody and anybody can sign up and we'll give some of that information a little bit later. But the presentation that I gave was my five takeaways from conversations with the top coaches uh, at the college level, junior level, professional level. And uh, I had a lot of fun. One of the things in doing this hockey think tank and growing my network from when I was a college coach is I get the opportunity to talk to some amazingly smart people and uh, just amazingly great coaches. And, and so I put together a little bit of a presentation based upon what I've learned from you guys and what I've learned from them. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so this episode will be that presentation that I gave. And before we do get over to that, though, we can't go an entire episode without the talent of the podcast, Jeff Levecchio. So Vex, let's bring you in here. What's going on today, my man? Hi, Carl. What's up, buddy? Not much. I'm, uh... I'm doing great, man. Had a great week in the gym with all my guys. Way more guys are coming back uh, every day right now. So that's been super fun and super exciting. And the gym's buzzing. And it's my favorite time of year for sure, obviously, because, uh, you know, I get to try and help all these guys get better in all the different ways that I try and help them. Um, so I'm stoked, man. I'm working with a couple younger teams, actually, uh, this weekend for the first time too, in the gym, some young AAA teams. Uh, so that's going to be really fun. I haven't worked with young players in a minute, so it's, uh, I'm excited for that. That should be cool. And your gym is unreal by the way. Oh yeah. Toast came everybody. As we, uh, as we talked about last episode was our first time in the flesh, uh, doing a, an intro together. Um, and so we were in St. Louis and got to go over to Jeff's gym for the first time, actually in person. I've seen it a zillion times with your blue check Mark Instagram stuff. <laughs> um, but it was fun. We got to bring the kids over and the kids were running around. We got to see, I mean, the stuff that you guys have in there is unbelievable. And I, I wish I was an athlete today doing that rather than 20, 25 years ago. Um, but very, very cool. So I'm glad that you're able to affect some change with some of the young bucks down there and abroad. Yeah, thanks, bro. Well, it was really cool as Tof actually got his first slam dunk ever uh, in my gym a no, few weeks not ago. Ever. That's, that's, that's fake news. Uh, <laughs> I have slam dunked before. Uh, however, the Nets were 
probably seven feet high or those little play school nets that are like three feet high. Yeah. Or I was thinking the play like, school. Yeah. Or some of those, like, you know, when you're younger and you go to those trampoline places. Oh you know, yeah. Trampoline, you jump up and you, yeah. you slam dunk it. So, uh, that is fake news. Fake, fake news. news. Sorry. Third, his third dunk. Disinformation. Uh, maybe an eight foot hoop that I, I have two hoops in the gym. Not a chance. And, that was uh, eight feet. I wouldn't no. have got it if it was eight feet. No. Seven. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I got to hop up there to dunk it. But anyways, <laughs> I got two hoops in the gym for the boys to uh, have some fun before workouts, after workouts, uh, wheel them out, had them donated by an ex uh, workout partner, younger kid who we kind of let work out with us growing up, Greg Triplett. So I don't know if he ever listens to this, but thank you, Greg. You're a great man. Thanks for donating to the boys. His name is going on the wall soon. And uh, yeah, Toph had an absolutely sick dunk and I got it on camera too. I love it. Very cool. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get over. I want to give a little bit of an introduction to this presentation that I gave, so what everybody's going to be listening to. And I apologize, the first, um, I don't know, minute uh, got cut off, so a little bit of the intro uh, from the presentation got cut off, so I'll just kind of give it to everybody right here. And so basically this presentation that I gave, again, it was you know what I've learned from the last four or five years of being out of college hockey coaching and getting the opportunity to just talk to so many smart people uh, in the game. And so my five takeaways and Vex, I'd love to hear kind of what you think about this stuff um, just in, in what makes these programs really successful based upon the information that people are, are talking about, about their programs. And the first one, which I think is really, really important, man, is, is identity is everything. That was my first takeaway is identity is everything. There are so many different ways to win. There's not one way to win. And so it's really cool getting the chance to learn from all of these high level coaches at all these levels, what identity means to them. And I've always been a big believer that a team takes on the personality of their head coach uh, for, for the good and the bad. Um, and, and the most authentic head coaches that, you know, are authentically themselves and have their own identity and preach identity all the time. Um, I think those are the really, really successful ones. So um, that was number one. And, and I know you're big on, on identity too. Yeah, and and was that team identity, uh, personal identity? It both? was everything, everything. everything. I, again, it goes back to it. That's it. literally what number one is called. Identity is everything. So we talk about team identity. We talk about individual identity. We talk about how important identity is and what that actually means. So, um, yeah, it's uh, you got to know who you are. You have to be the best version of that individually that's, and as a team. That's amazing. That's uh, I love that. You know, the weird connection uh matt calderoni who we just recently had in the podcast today because uh i'm a partner of his as a strength coach for his company he actually sent me something today where he said hey we're we're helping out all our partners um all your clients can take like a personality test like a very in-depth one to help them understand more about themselves so kind of going in line with helping them figure identity especially for younger people younger players if you can learn that types of types of things about yourself and learn how you learn how do you best learn and you know what are your strengths what are your weaknesses i think that that's massively important and that goes into psychology that we have talked about and you've talked about um and, and sports psychology and all of those things and then another layer team identity i love that yeah, identity is everything so that's the first thing first thing that i talk about the second pillar to it is it's all about people 
It's all about people and how you treat people and the amount of time and effort you invest into people. I think the best coaches, the best programs, they are very thoughtful. They put a lot of heart and soul and effort into developing relationships, not just coach to player, but player to player. Um, everybody's important in, in the group. It, it takes a village uh, to, to really make a, a successful program. So um, it's all about the people. That's something we talk about all the time. And, and again, the successful coaches that I've been able to learn from and talk to, that's the A number one most important thing is how they treat their, their people. People helping people. I love it. <laughs> people helping people. Okay. This, the, the next thing that I had, number three, was developing leaders. Uh, developing leaders, uh, if you ask any coach out there, and I get really in-depth into this, how important player leadership is to the success of your team, they would say it is paramount. It's one of the most important things that you need is a great player leadership in the locker room. Um, but I don't think, and I talk about this, I don't think we do enough work in developing leaders. I think we just expect men and women to be the leaders, um, but there's that's not enough. And the best coaches are, are very intentional in what they do in developing culture and developing leaders. And so I talk about that and, uh, you know, I get in depth on what I think that means. Um, and, and another thing about this presentation is I actually give, uh, from our podcast and from, I've done a lot of these 10 question interviews on YouTube. So if you hasn't, haven't gone on to, to our YouTube page, you can go on to that. And I've used a lot of sound clips from a lot of coaches that we've spoken to in this presentation as well. And so, uh, it's just, you know, really, really cool. And so, yeah, I mean, I think what we're talking about here in, in developing leaders, such a big thing, um, such a great idea, not necessarily something we do in practice well enough. I love that. And uh, you should listen to our podcast. We did about a month ago on leadership because that will help with you Jen develop Baker. your leaders. Yeah, yeah with Jen Baker. And, and I use a couple of her clips in uh, in, in this presentation uh, with, uh, with the AHCA here. So, uh, yeah, that was a phenomenal one. Go back and listen. Yeah, it was probably like four or five episodes ago with Jen Baker, and, and she was phenomenal. The fourth thing that I talk about is player accountability. And, again, I think this is another thing that we as coaches – think is extremely important and it kind of goes along with developing leaders and player leadership. Um, but having that player accountability within the locker room. And so the accountability doesn't always have to come from the coaches. I think that's something that every coach says is paramount to their success as a team. And so what are we doing as coaches to train our players to hold each other accountable or be held accountable from their teammates? And so I talk a lot about that. I go really in depth to it. Um, and just another thing that I think as coaches, we could do a much better job of in practice. Yeah. Where do you think, um, do you think it's the younger levels that need to hold their players more accountable or the, the higher levels that, that are doing like who's not doing a good enough job at it? I think it's everybody. I think it's everybody. I, I don't think we teach that enough to, to players and, and on both sides. I don't think we teach how to hold people accountable. 
how to hold high standards, hold people to high standards. And I don't think we teach well enough how to, uh, how to be held accountable too. And so, uh, I, and when I go around and I do all my team building with these teams, this is probably the most powerful thing we do is when we talk about player accountability, because the players know that it's important. The players want to do it, but they also understand that it ain't easy. It's hard to tell your best friends. No, it's held hard to hold your best friends accountable. It's, it's uncomfortable to do that. And so we go through and we teach them how to do it. We talk about why it's important. And, and I just think it's a really important part. And, and again, I think really good coaches, have a lot of focus into that and they talk to the players about it. And I think it, it just makes for a much better culture when the coaches don't have to do a lot of that legwork from an accountability standpoint, that is a recipe for success. 100%. I love that. Love it. <laughs> okay. And then uh, the last thing that I talk about. So number one is identity is everything. Number two, it's all about the people. Number three, developing leaders. Number four, player accountability. So these are things just, I've had such an awesome time learning from some amazing people about these things. And then the last thing that I talk about is how do you spend your time? How do you spend your time as a coach? And I think when we look at what's important to us as coaches, and then if we look at how we spend our time as coaches, do those things coexist? So if developing relationships, we believe is 70% of our job, but we're only allotting 30% of our time to developing relationships, there's a little bit of a disconnect there, right? So we talk a lot about how do you spend your time? And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs this is something that I've learned. This is something that we've talked about when you're an entrepreneur, it's something you really kind of learn the hard way, <laughs> how valuable your time is and, and time is money and time is energy and, and you need to use it to the best of your ability. And I think if you can be very, again, intentional with your time and what you're doing, um, it's really, really important to the production of yourself as a coach. And then ultimately the, the output of what you're giving to your program. I absolutely love that saying, Tof. You know that I'm a huge, you know, slogan guy, post-it note guy. Get it, get intentional with your time. I think that is very important. And I hope a lot of people hear that and write that down. Because if you have goals, if you want to do something, if you want to be something, you need to be intentional with your time. It doesn't mean you can't have, you know, a fun time and you can't be spontaneous, but like when you need to get better at something, you need to be intentional with where you're putting in that time. So like you said, your output is increased. Absolutely, my man. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, this was just, uh, this was the presentation that I gave. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and again, this is from what I've learned from some amazing people. And so what I do want to say before we move on here is that anybody, so AHCA, they have a bunch of speakers that come and they speak every year. And this year they were all online, but it's accessible to anybody. It's not just the college coaches that are down there because they're all videotaped and, uh, and everything like that. Right. So, uh, the people who spoke this year, and it's really funny as I go down this list because these are a lot of people that we've actually either had on the podcast or I've interviewed for my YouTube 10 questions. So the first one is Brad Berry and Scott Sandlin, the head coach at North Dakota and the head coach at University of Minnesota Duluth. They had that five overtime game in the NCAA tournament. And uh, so they talked about coaching during that five overtime game. Brad Berry is somebody that I interviewed for my 10 questions. So one of those guys, uh, another one was Tobias Johansson. He talked about player development. Tobias uh, is from Sweden and he is somebody that we've had on the podcast as well uh, to talk about that. That was an unbelievable episode. So I would go in and, you know, again, you can go and I'll tell you how you can get in to get access to this stuff. Another presentation was Martin St. Louis and Roger Grillo. 
two people that we've also had on the podcast. So we're four for five right now. We got to get coach Sandlin on here, but uh, I mean, our podcast is set. (laughs) Um, But uh, yes, I think it does. Uh, But Roger Grillo and uh, Marty St. Louis, Uh, Marty played for Roger when Roger was coaching in Vermont way back in the day. And they talked about offensive concepts. And then the last presentation other than mine was they always do every year, a championship panel where they bring up the coaches or a coach from the team that won at NCAA division one and NCAA division one women and so this year it was uh umass men and the wisconsin women and and so they go up and they answer a bunch of questions and give a little bit of a synopsis of why they thought they won in their year and, and all that kind of stuff so um if you do want to be a part of this go to ahca hockey.com it's only 30 bucks a year for youth coaches to get access to these presentations so i would really encourage it's obviously awesome content from all the speakers myself not included um but uh it's uh really good stuff really really good stuff again uh, this is one of my favorite times a year when i was a college coach going down to naples and just you know bonding with a bunch of the other coaches down there learning professional development hearing from speakers and some of the best times and jeff when you were down there it's just over a couple beers having you know seven or eight men and women just sitting around a table over a couple beers and just talking hockey or talking culture or talking life or whatever and i feel like my education as a coach that was some of my best times and so i'm i'm very very humbled that this was the fourth time i've been asked back in the last 4 years to to speak at this thing and uh i just can't thank ahca uh, enough for doing this steve weedler who we've also had on the podcast he's an assistant coach at vermont now um you know he man. asked me awesome um so go and listen to that episode too uh he asked me to come and do this so thanks to weeds for allowing me back for another year thanks to joe Brit- britannia who is the executive director of the ahca um and he's been doing this for years and and it's just an absolute first class week every time we go down there and these virtual presentations they've pivoted unbelievably again over 300 coaches on there uh listening to these presentations so uh congrats to them for another great year in in more trying times so um just Hope you guys enjoy this one. Before we do get over to it, we want to thank our sponsors. We'll get through this one quickly. Thanks to our title our title sponsor, Gel Sticks, G-E-L-S-T-X.com. Go there, get your weighted training sticks. They're phenomenal training aids. Everybody's using them to make their shot better. Jeff's using them in the gym for their strength and conditioning as well. Uh, Jeff's Train Heroic is absolutely killing it right now. Just is in the process of picking up all these teams from everywhere. And uh, so teams, youth organizations, individuals, it's so easy to use. Go to Train Heroic. It's an app on your phone. Uh, Look for Ripped Hockey, R-I-P-T Hockey, and Jeff Lavecchio, and you'll be able to get his Train With Me stuff. Um, And he's also doing a bunch of teams remotely for unbelievable cost. And that's what a lot of teams need is a, is a strength coach. And sometimes you don't have the, the funds to be able to do it. So Jeff's doing an awesome service for a lot of people in the hockey world in, uh, in doing that. Thanks to icehockeysystems.com who are our favorite people. They are amazing. We've done so many things with them. And the biggest one, as we've talked about in uh, the last couple episodes, is we have an association platform that the Hockey Think Tank and some other people like Dennis Savard 
and Dwayne Blay, who we've had on the podcast, and Ben Eves, who we've had on the podcast. And there's so much awesome information in this. They have a drill drawing software. You can draw all your drills, put together practice plans. You can send it out to your team before practice. Um, it's just such an unbelievable resource for any coaches and hockey directors out there. And they also have our parent guidebook and our parent survival guide. That uh, is so it's not just for coaches and players to get better, but it's also for parents. And so you get access to our parent guidebook. Every single parent in your association gets that. Uh, every coach in the association gets access to all the hockey stuff and the drill drawing software. So thanks to Ice Hockey Systems for sponsoring us. And thanks to, uh, you know, their partnership because they're amazing guys. So um, we've talked enough on this intro. Vex, intro, Vex, what do you say? Should we head on over? Let's do it, baby. Thanks, right. fans. Thanks, <laughs> listeners. We love you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're changing it up a little bit here on this episode. Uh, and this is my presentation to the American Hockey Coaches Association, uh, formerly in Florida. Hopefully we can get back to Florida in, in future years. But uh, this was virtual this year. So without further ado, uh, here you go. Players, And then ultimately, at the end of the day, who do you want to be and, and who are you as a program? What is your identity, your player's identity and your program's identity? So who are you as a coach? Uh, again, reflection is, is such an important thing and everybody has a story. I've, I've learned so much from your guys' story that you shared with me. I've learned so much from people who talk about story, whether it's writers, musicians, um, anybody and everybody in between. Everybody has a reason of why they are the way that they are. And, and I think a lot of successful people use that in their relationship building, using their experiences to share those experiences with their players or the people that they work with. And ultimately, when you do that, you create connection through that authenticity of your voice, through vulnerability of, of sharing, and then putting yourself in, in other people's shoes as you're talking to them, and then encouraging other people to get inside of your shoes. And when you have that, and you have that connection, especially with your players, I think you realize as coaches that you've had a lot of shared experiences, and you can really connect with them on a different level by opening up about how you got through maybe some of the tough times in your career, how you dealt with uh, a teammate, how you dealt with a situation, how you dealt with being in a slump. And I think there's just, there's so much power in story. And I think for the coaches that open up a little bit more and, and share their own, it, it just, it allows the players that you coach to do the same thing. And then when you can get to know each other on that deeper level, I think it's, it's huge. Um, and I have a video here. Uh, I think it's a little bit choppy, uh, but you'll hear the audio really, really well. And this is one from Barry Trotz that I think is just really, really powerful. Watch out. Uh-oh. Gonna be scared. <laughs> the one thing that I can honestly say, when Nolan was born, uh, I think it changed me. Um, you know, I was pretty prioritized in you know, what was important and what I thought was important. And then you have a, a child with special needs. And I think it brings a lot of clarity what's important in life, what's not. When I stand behind my team, it means something. It means knowing what needs to be done to win. It means setting the example for others to follow. Standing behind my family, it means just the same. So you, you look at that and 
Barry Trotz's experience in, in being a father of, of someone that has special needs, it very much shapes who he is. And I can guarantee that he uses uh, a, a lot of what he's learned as a father in, in building those connections and building those relationships with his players. Um, I have brothers with special needs. It's, it's very much a part of who I am and who my family is. And I try to use everything that I've learned through that experience to shape my own identity. And so I think everybody has a story. We don't coach um, players. We coach people. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But, you know, everybody's got a story. And the more we can get to know each other's identities, we can connect on a deeper level. And same thing with your players. Every one of your players has a story. Um, and, and the more you can get to know them through encouraging them to be authentic, encouraging them to be vulnerable, encouraging them to put themselves in, in maybe their other teammates or even in your shoes when you're, you're having a conversation with them, uh, it's the same. And, and I think building that identity through connection, through relationships, um, you know, we want our players and we want ourselves to bring our best versions of us to the rink. That's how shared success happens. Um, so again, using those shared experiences, using story, I think is a powerful way to be able to do that. And then who are you as a program? Like <laughs> Jeff and I talk about it for those people that listen to our podcast, we talk about it all the time. And it's kind of funny. It's like your name plus Ness, your program plus Ness, like North Dakota Ness. What makes North Dakota, North Dakota? What makes Michigan, Michigan? What makes every team just their own authentic little program? And so I, I challenge you guys. And a lot of what I'll talk about here today, are, these are a lot of questions that I ask myself in reflecting on, on how I did in, in, um, in, as myself as a coach. And so I think everybody, like, ask your team, what is your team identity? And somebody came in and did a, a project with us where they told us, okay, describe your identity, describe who you are as a team in one sentence. And if everybody on the team was pretty close on that sentence, then you had a team identity. And then if you ask them, do you buy into that? And everybody said, yes, that's a recipe for success. So think about like, what would your staff and what would your players say if you asked, who are we as a group? What do we believe in? Um, if you can sum it down to one sentence, what our program is, what is it? Uh, I think it is a powerful exercise that uh, it's a good reflection piece. Uh, and, and in one of the podcasts that we did with Greg Powers at Arizona State, I think he gave one of the best answers to this question that, that I've ever heard. And I'll play that now. Our mentality of no excuses ever is, is in my opinion, you know, one of the pillars of, of, of why we found success. And we say it all the time when we, we, we jumped into division one hockey, we were ambitious, you know, and, and, um, we announced in November and we were a club program and we went division one the following year. We didn't have a roster. We didn't have a staff. We didn't have a, an arena. We didn't have a conference. We didn't have a schedule and we jumped into it and everybody on the outside created excuses as to why we couldn't be successful. Um, we blocked those out and, and, and we, we have a, a mentality of no excuses ever. We're going to find a way to do it. And, and I think we're a prime example of, if, if you get the right group of people together that share a genuine passion, it'll stop at nothing to make that passion a reality and that vision a reality, um, you're, you're, you're going to get it done. And, and we've done that. Uh, I think that's just, uh, it's awesome. And you look at Coach Powers and coming in as a club program to Division One hockey, and they use what most people would perceive as, as a weakness and, and turn that into a strength. And they turn that into their team identity. And I think if you can find a way to use 
um, whatever situation that you're in, whether you're in a certain conference, a different conference, a men's team, a women's team, it doesn't really matter who makes you, you as a program, get people to buy into that. And uh, I think that was just a fantastic answer right there. Um, and then just to kind of end this off here, this is a book that I read a long time ago um, that I would encourage a lot of leaders to, to lead and it's the four or to read. It's the four obsessions of an extraordinary executive. And it's basically how to build what we're talking about, how to build that buy-in and that clarity. And so the, the four steps, the four obsessions is one, building and maintaining a cohesive leadership team. Uh, it's really important to have the right people on board. But then the next three, creating organizational clarity, over-commuting organizational clarity, and re reinforcing organizational clarity through human systems. Um, so everybody knowing exactly who they are, what their roles are, everybody knowing exactly who you are as a program, what's your identity, over-communicating that, putting it up on the walls, talking about it all the time, talking about it, who we are, who we are, who we are, and then reinforcing that through things that you do. Um, maybe there's certain team building events. Uh, maybe there's certain structures that you put within your leadership group on your team. I, mean, I think there's so many different things that you can do to reinforce who we are as a group. I just thought um, I, it's a book that I encourage everybody to read. I thought it was great. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is, is it's all about the people. I've been able to learn from you guys so much um, and hear you talk so passionately about how much you care uh, about your team, about your players, about the people that you work with. It's, it's very inspiring to say the least. And for me, the best coaches that I've been able to be around and the best coaches I've been able to talk to, the first thing that they talk about is how they treat their people. Um, and nobody does it better than Coach Riley. Uh, this, the, the podcast that we did with him was one of the most inspiring ones that, that we did. Um, and this is a great clip. And I apologize for the, uh, I think there's a little delay on the video, but you can hear the audio pretty well. The best advice I ever got, like, like people say to me, what advice would you give somebody getting into coaching? And, and I tell them, this is what I, like the best advice I ever got was from my dad. And when I told him that I wanted to get into coaching, he said, Brian, I'm gonna give you one bit of advice. So I started thinking, all right, let me go get a piece of paper. What's he gonna show me, a power play? Is he gonna show me D-zone coverage, like, like PK something? And he looked at me and he said, Brian, you make sure that you show you your players that you care for them more as people than you do as hockey players. And if you do that, you will create this power of one, which will enable you to overcome any obstacle that you may have during a season, during a game, but you will also create relationships that you will last forever with, with your players. I, I, I don't think you can say it much better than Coach Riley right there. And it's so funny just doing this right now. He'll probably kill me for saying this, but I just got a text from Coach Brecky, um, who was my coach at Cornell uh, as an assistant for four years. And then I got the chance to work with him um, at, uh, at, at Miami of Ohio. And, and I, I don't know if I've ever been around anybody that cared about people as, as much as Brex. He's had such an effect on me, um, not only as a, as, as a, as a player, um, but as a coach, and now that, that I'm a father, as a dad, and um, like it, the effect that you can have on the people um, that you work with or you coach or whatever. I mean, I'm sitting here 15, 20 years later um, getting a text from a coach and, and just getting all the feels because I love him as a human, and he's just a, a great person. It's so cool to see his success there uh, at St. Lawrence. Um, so, it's all about the people, right? It's all about the people. So how are you bringing kids into your family as, as a group? 
so important in, in thinking about that. How are you investing in those relationships that you have? What's the time and effort and the preparation that you're putting into those relationships and, and the growth that, uh, that your players and your staff want to have as well. Um, so when you talk about how are you bringing kids into your program, um, and I've told this story many times, but when I was coaching, one of the things that I used to do is I would talk to advisors, I would talk to junior coaches, I would talk to midget coaches, um, you know, who, who's the best in the business? Who's the best in the business is why. And, and a ton of people that I spoke to talked about Todd Kanata, Minnesota State. And, and you know, why is, why is, why is Nader one of the best? It's because he's genuine and, and he's just really, really good at, at building relationships. And so I got the chance to um, have a little bit of a round table with three guys that I really respect and who I think are some of the best in the business and Steve Miller, Ben Sire and, and Todd um, and got to ask him some of those questions. And this is um, something that, that Nader talked about um, when it comes to recruiting, just being genuine, being sincere, being you kids aren't, um, necessarily committing to a, a, a rink or a pro they're, they're committing to you as a coach. And so being sincere and genuine, I, I think is awesome. And here's not, I, I would hope they would just say it's sincere. Cause I don't think that's something you can fake. Yeah. And so it's no different, whether it's with Benny and killer, as I got to know them, it's cause you, you had a true liking uh, and, and Benny hit it on the head on back in the Des Moines days. And when you want to get into this business and you're passionate and sincere about it, you, you ask questions not to hear yourself talk five seconds later. It's because you're listening and you want to get better. And I think those relationships, and then you put it into the players, it's no different because uh, what I've learned is that process of recruiting a player. And again, it, it's got to be sincere, but it's so much, I don't want to say easier, but when they're with your program and now you have to coach that player and you've had a two year, and we're really big on that. When a kid commits, that doesn't mean the relationship is over until you get on campus. Uh, that's that's fantastic. And I, I reflect upon even when I was recruiting, I think I spent a lot of time trying to sell the program, sell the program, sell the program, sell the program, instead of just building a relationship with with people. Um, and at the end of the day, that's, that's what we're in the business of doing. It's getting to know people, getting people to to try and trust you by being a good person and, and being genuine. And, you know, coach cannot um, from a ton of people that I talked to is just so incredibly great at that. And you see the success that Mankato has been able to have. Uh, I think that's a huge part of the reason why. Um, and, and then the other thing I want to talk about, this is kind of coming from um, being in youth hockey for the last couple of years and, and seeing uh, it from the other side is you're, you're not just recruiting the kid, uh, you're recruiting the family. And if I were to go back and do this again, I would spend a lot more time building those relationships with that player support group because it stresses kids out. This college process, it, it stresses kids out. They just want to get it over with. They want to get it over with. They want to put it up on social media and, and just not have that stress anymore. So a lot of times the kids... I don't want to say they're not making the decision for themselves, but they're very swayed by the opinions of the people that are in their support group. And it's almost like some of them just want them to tell them what to do because it is such a stressful and a big decision. So, um, you know, being genuine and, and building those relationships, if you really want a kid, I would, I would spend a lot of time um, speaking and building that relationship, not just with that kid, but with that kid's support group as well. I, I, another thing, what's, What's your plan? I think as coaches, and, and this is something that I've learned from a lot of great people that are on this call right now, um, they don't just have a plan for practice. 
they don't just have a plan for how they want to play. They have a plan for how they want to communicate with their team and how they're going to reach each one of their players. Um, so maybe they have a goal of reaching three kids a day or four kids a day, or I need to make sure I have a meeting with, with every kid on my team once a month. It, it doesn't really, they have a plan. And I, I think when you have that plan, um, it just sets a little bit of an accountability for you to make sure that you are investing in those relationships. Coaches will say all the time, the most important part of my job is my players and my relationships. But what's your plan to do that to make sure that you're actually, um, you know, executing on that as well. And, and I think Todd Woodcroft uh, had, had a great line when we were talking in our podcast with him. I think the idea again of family is such an important one to being a coach, whether it's with your team or with your staff, you need people to tell you the truth all the time and you need to have trust and trust is something I've found in my experience that really comes from honesty, that really comes from consistency, that comes from love. For me, that's the biggest thing at the end there uh, in building relationships and building that family like culture, that relationship between your players and, and, and your coaching staff, you know, honesty, consistency and love, honesty, consistency and love. I, those three values are incredible. And I think one of the biggest ones with that is consistency. I think that's the thing where we fail the most as a coach is that consistency part of it, because we can think in our head that we care about our players, but if they don't think that then perception is reality. And so what are we doing to actually show them that we love them? What are we doing to actually connect with them? It's very easy to say, Hey, I care about my players. And, and it, it could be true. You might care about your players more than anything, but again, where's the action? have a plan for it. I think the best coaches that I've been able to sp speak to, uh, they, I they think do the have idea. A plan for it. Um, and then how are you investing in, in, in growth for your players, for your staff, and then your own growth? What type of plan do you have um, individually with each one of your players to make sure that they're becoming better? Because I think the best way that you can show your players that you care is investing in their growth, making sure that they are getting better. Same thing with your staff. How are you investing in making each other better, having the tough conversations, having the fun conversations, um, connecting outside of hockey? I think the staffs that I've been able to work with and the staffs that I've been able to talk to, they, they're not just people that work together they have a genuine love for each other as well and when you invest in the growth in each other challenge each other make sure each other are getting better um, that unity within the staff will permeate throughout your entire team and then the best coaches that I've been able to work with and speak to they invest so much in their own growth as well and when you invest in your own growth as coach Barry is is going to show you here in just a second I think it sends a great message to the player being like hey I'm in this with you I want to grow. I don't have all the answers. Um, and, and when you do that, it just shows your players that they can invest in their own growth as well. You know, I, I go back to, I think it was two or three years ago, uh, you know, uh, we go out of Buffalo, New York for you know, all those uh, U.S. development camps for, for young athletes going out there in the summertime. And I can remember when Shafe uh, called me and he called a bunch of head coaches from around the country and he said, hey, you know, we got some time in between sessions here. Why don't we all get together and brainstorm and really be open and talk about what programs do on and off the ice. And I thought that was very, very impactful. I know it was for me. And I think it's one of those things that as a coach, you have to be open on, on trying to learn from others. It doesn't matter how much experience you have, but, you know, try to grow as a go as grow as a coach uh, over the years, because I'll tell you what, when you think you, you, you know, it all, you really don't. And uh, I think players actually uh, 
love it that, you know, you're human and the fact that you want to get better as well as they do. You know, so these are these are two coaches. They shared the Spencer Penrose Award uh, last year, uh, pre-COVID, and they're getting together to, to make each other better and investing in their own growth. And the best coaches, I think, do that. Um, and I feel like the ones who have all the answers, and I'm sure we've been around people who, who are like this, uh, they're no fun to be around. And so really investing in your own growth, like Coach Barry said at the end, it, it, uh, it allows their players to invest in it as well because you're modeling the way with that. Um, and then the last, the last slide I have here, I've been fortunate enough to, to learn a little bit from somebody who I think is one of the top development guys in the game, and that's Daryl Belfry. Uh, he's a skills coach for a lot of the top guys in the NHL um, and, and works with the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. And, and one of the reasons why I really respect what he does and really try and follow a lot of what he does as well is because, you know, when it comes to hockey stuff, I think the guy's an absolute genius. Um, the way that he talks about the game and thinks about the game and studies the game is just on a, on another level, but he invests more in his own growth and becoming a teacher and building relationships and connections with the players than he does with any of the hockey stuff. And so he had a, a quote and a line on one of the podcasts that we did with him that I thought really, really resonated. That's something we have to keep in mind. And so that's what it's all decisions and decisions and decisions and decisions. And that's all hockey sense. So are we develop, you're developing hockey sense all of the time. The key part about it is the questions you ask. Why did you go? What did you see? What role were you in this play? When did you know it? And having these types of discussions is how you foster it. Rather than say he has it and he doesn't. Maybe he has it, but he's just a conservative kid. He's never going to jump. He's never jumping. That doesn't mean he doesn't have the hockey. He saw it, clearly. He just didn't do it. If, but you went the whole season. You never asked him. You're not going to know. But if you ask him and you know, now you can encourage him. So I just, I just think that was really, really powerful. Um, and he does that with, you know, he's working with Matthews and Kane and uh, all these top, top-level players. And, uh, you know, coaching is not instructing. Coaching is asking questions and getting to know your players and figuring out the best way to get to them. And so that's something that I feel like he's taught me and it's obviously worked with the success that he's had uh, in, in, in his travels in hockey. And so I just thought it was a really, really interesting, again, when we're investing in people um, you know, it's, it's about getting to know them. It's about asking questions. And when you find those connections through doing that, you can have much better coaching, I think. And, and that's something that I've learned from a lot of you. Um, so the next, the next thing I want to talk about is developing leaders. Um, and I go to the next slide here. Uh, this is a question that I ask myself, and I think this is a lopsided answer for a lot of people and a lot of coaching staffs and a lot of programs that, that I've spoken to. And the, the question on a scale of one to 10, one being the least, 10 being the most, uh, how important is player leadership to your success as a team? I think we can all sit here and agree that it's probably a nine or a 10 uh, when you have leaders that, uh, that are strong and, and you have great not only captains and assistant captains, but great leaders in uh, a bunch of different of your classes, um, that that's a recipe for success. Um, but then on the other hand, on a scale from one to 10, one being the least and 10 being the most, how much time do you invest in developing your leaders? 
Um, I, I, for me, you know, in talking to a lot of people and looking back at my own career, like, I don't know how much we do that. Well, if it's so important to us, why don't we spend more time in developing leaders and talking about leadership and how it's important? Um, so it's just something that I've reflected on and, and I think it would be great for, for a lot of other coaches to reflect on. And just in, in talking with you and hearing about some of the things that you guys do in trying to build and cultivate either whether it's a leadership group or specific individual leaders, I think there's three big ways that, that we can do that. And one is through mentorship. Uh, two is through authenticity and, and three is, is through modeling the way. Um, so this, this next clip is from uh, Maura Kroll, who's uh, the head coach at University of Minnesota Duluth. And for me, nobody does it better than women's hockey when it comes to mentorship. I think for a lot of different reasons, um, the, the women's hockey um, community really, really focuses a lot. And that's coming from the PWHPA and the top players in the world all the way down through youth hockey. And I think everybody can learn something from trying to, um, you know, watch what a lot of the women's leagues and a lot of what the women's teams do. And Mora had a great, um, a great little anecdote here from when she coached uh, team USA. To have them be so willing to, you know, hang out with the U18 group at whether they're working a camp, making an appearance, just speaking to them, as well as girls all over the country from different youth organizations. Um, I, I think it's remarkable. I think it's incredibly important. Um, and what it does is exactly what I was saying before. You know, when you have someone like that in your locker room, who's done it? you know, who's worn the red, white, and blue, who's won a gold medal, who's, you know, had her heart broken in the uniform, you know, has gone through all of those things. These guys are just so fortunate and they know that. And then to be able to like pick their brains on hockey stuff and, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, how to score more goals or better hands or entry plays or whatever it might be. I think, um, the times that the older players are willing to put in is, is incredible. Uh, it's awesome. And, and Mora and team USA, they brought in Olympians to come in and speak to their, their U18 teams and, and their junior teams and stuff um, and talk about their experiences and what it means to wear the red, white, and blue. And, and it just leads to so many other things. And there's so much giving back in, uh, in the women's hockey community. I think it's fantastic. And the other thing that goes into it is you have to be a mentee before you're a mentor. And so when you have great mentors as maybe a freshman or a sophomore um, or um, whatever, I just think you can learn how to be that mentor. And that just develops leaders all the time. And I would encourage every team like once a month, uh, go to a school, go on the ice with some of the younger teams that are in your area. Um, I just think learning how to be a leader and maybe even learn how to coach, putting themselves in your shoes sometimes, um, it just creates this, this, this bond of leadership that you can have within your group. And so I encourage to talk about mentorship all the time. You can do certain things like putting certain players next to each other in the locker room. One of the things we used to do at Cornell, um, one person from each class would be in a group of four and they had to go do something on a, on the weekend in the preseason. They can go golfing, they can go watch a movie, they can play video, well, whatever it was. I just think um, incorporating some type of mentorship in your program um, can really help to build and cultivate those leaders. Um, the next thing is just authenticity. We're all different leaders and we have to do a better job as coaches into bringing the best leadership qualities out of each and every one of those players that, and they're all different. 
And uh, this is a great, this is from Jen Baker, uh, who actually instituted a Big Red Leadership Institute, which was leadership development for all of our athletes at Cornell when I was there. Uh, she's a Navy veteran, um, just incredible, incredible person. And now she's the athletic director at Johns Hopkins University. And this, I think, was a pretty powerful thing when it comes to developing and cultivating player leadership. It's something I talked to our team captains about, which is like, we've all been on a team, I think, where you know, somebody becomes the elected team captain in their senior year. And all of a sudden, like they're doing things that they never did for their first three years, because somehow in their minds, they're like, oh, I'm the captain. Now I'm supposed to do X, Y, or Z. And what that does is create a disconnect with all the people who put you in that position because they, they put you in the position for who they knew you to be for those first three years. Right. So let's assume that this is a model where the, the a senior becomes a captain. And so they don't want you to change. They elected you for who you are. I think it's a great lesson for, for any kid. And, and I think as coaches, if we, if we think about it and if you've read up on it, the best way we can get the best out of each and every one of us is to bring the best version of our authentic selves to the rink. And I think that's a lesson for coaches. I think that's a lesson, especially for the players. And I'm sure we've all coached players that once they got that letter on their Jersey and I'm guilty of it myself, um, you know, they changed a little bit. They felt like they had to do something different when at the end of the day, all they got to do is be the best version of them and lead the way. And uh, so if as coaches, we can really talk about being the best version of you, what are your strengths? Um, what can you bring to the team? What role can you play as a leader? Because we're all different and we can all fill different roles in our leadership groups as players. Um, and then this was part of the curriculum that Jen had with our players and not just our players, but all of the athletes at Cornell when it came to leadership development. And it goes back to the authenticity piece of it. What are your core values? Who are you? What are you good at? What are your strengths when it comes to leadership and how you interact with your teammates? And how have the experiences that you've had in the past, how has that shaped you into the person and the leader that you are today? And then you can take all of those things from all of that self-reflection and then how do we use it? Okay, what is possible with the strengths that I have and how can I use that uh, to be a better leader for our team and for our group? What goals can we set as leaders? What is my inspiration and how can we inspire the other people within our group? And one of the biggest things that she talks about is being a leader is not just what you do at the rink. Being a leader is a 24-7 job and things that you do uh, maybe on Saturday nights, the way that you conduct yourself in the classroom, the way that you conduct yourself around women or around men, um, those have an effect on the people that you're leading. And so being a leader is something, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. Well, it is a little bit about what you do, but it's, it's more about who you are. What is your authentic self? What can you bring to the table to bring the best out of the people that are around with you? And uh, it was just a great lesson for me learning from Jen and seeing all these athletes go through this process and the feedback we got from the athletes that did this was incredible. So if you take some time to do things like this, um, with your team and, and even maybe a little bit more with your leadership groups, whatever that may be, I think you'll see a huge value add um, to your team. And then at the end of the day, this is from Tommy Niemela, who some of you I'm sure know uh, on this podcast. This is one of the most popular podcasts that we did. Um, and this is a great line uh, from Tommy from Finland. We want that the players could coach themselves, that they would have such a high intrinsic motivation for themselves, that, that they want to get better and they want to have more knowledge and we as coaches are just as providers. We provide them uh, everything what we have and they can use it as, as well as they can because it's, it's not about us. It's about the players. It's about them, how they, where, where they will go. It's about their dreams. The coach's job is, is not to make a status of himself. 
the coach's job is to is to help the athlete to to catch his dreams to get wherever he wants to and and i think that has to be the the base philosophy of it I think that's a huge, huge, huge statement there by Tommy. And I think he's talking a little bit more from a hockey playing standpoint. um, But I think that resonates from a leadership standpoint too. I think the more we instruct as coaches, like we all want our players to take control of the team, but are, are we allowing them to do that? And so allowing your leaders to make mistakes, allowing your leaders to address the group, allowing or address the group, allowing your leaders to, to fail and learn and have conversations with them about how to build it back up. Um, again, the, the more we do upfront in developing these leaders, the, mo- the less fires we have to put out as a group and, and the more your team just takes control of itself. And it might not at the beginning be, uh, all roses. <laughs> Leadership is something that is hard and it's hard to learn and you got to learn through experience. And so allowing our players to coach themselves and, and make mistakes through that process, I think um, is something that we as coaches and even in talking with many of you, it's something we can do a better job of. Um, next thing we'll talk about is the ever elusive player accountability. It's something that I've had so many different conversations about with so many of you. And we can all agree that when the accountability comes from inside the room rather than the coach's room, uh, it's extremely, extremely powerful. Um, and in my team building, when I go around to uh, different teams and, and do this, this part of, of the, the day and the activity and talking about player accountability, I think is the most impactful of anything that we talk about because um, one of the things I do is I ask the, the players a question, okay, what's more powerful when it comes to accountability, when it comes from the coaches or when it comes from the players? And they all say when it comes from the players and it comes from within the group, I say, okay, great. Now, um, when you're doing this, how difficult is it to hold your teammates accountable from a one to 10, one being not very difficult, 10 being really, really difficult. Um, and you know, it's usually, yeah, it's pretty, pretty hard. The hardest thing you can do is tell your best friend, no, or, or, you know, get into them and however it is that, that you need to get into them. And so when you're talking about player accountability, that's something that they understand is really, really important, but they also understand that it's really, really hard. So we go through this process of talking about number one, the closer you are as a group, the more comfortable you're going to be in holding each other accountable. So as a coach, the more you're doing in team building, in, in making sure that your players are bonding on a different level, I think that's where it starts. Because when you don't have players that love each other, the accountability structure sucks. It absolutely sucks within the group. If they do love each other, they're going to listen to each other more. They're going to sacrifice for each other, maybe doing some things that they don't want to do, whatever it may be. But that's ultimately where it starts. And that's not coming from me. That's coming from the players that I've been able to do this activity with. The second thing is there's got to be authenticity in the accountability. And this is where there's a huge impact with the players because we talk about authenticity in the giver of accountability and authenticity in the taker of accountability. And so people are held accountable in different ways and it gets to them in different ways. And people are more comfortable holding people accountable in different ways. There's some players who are comfortable really getting into somebody and being hard on them. There's a lot of other great leaders that aren't really comfortable with that, but they're really good at maybe taking somebody out to lunch or maybe just pulling them aside every once in a while. There's so many different ways. And we talk about this as coaches at all the time, but it's something that the players need to recognize it well. So going back to previously, that authenticity and bringing the best version of you, ultimately that leads to a lot better of, of player accountability. Um, 
And so the, the last thing that I talk about with the players and, and it's the last part of this part of the activity is okay, guys um, or girls, we've talked about raise your hand here. If you think player accountability is really, really important. And they all raise their hand. Let's raise our hand. If we understand that we need to get to know each other on a much deeper level, if we're going to be able to do this and everybody has a different way that they like to be held accountable and that they like to hold other people accountable, raise your hand. If you think that's important, they all raise their hand. Okay. So let's make an oath right now. And we actually go through this. Let's make an oath right now that when somebody is holding you accountable, they're just trying to make you better. That's all they're trying to do is they're trying to make you better. And it's not personal. It's not personal. It's, it's out of love. It's out of respect. And when you have players talk about this and you address that elephant in the room with them um, and you go through this, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And it can ultimately lead to what we are all looking for as coaches. And that's for the team to take ownership of, of the group. Um, and then lastly, um, just take a couple more seconds here. Uh, this is something that I've learned from uh, especially a lot of you guys and learned from a lot of doing my own research in, in efficiency and productivity as an entrepreneur and owning my own business, something I'm not very good at. So how do, how do you spend your time? And so you go through it. Um, this is a great line from J.B. Spiso, who's spoken at this convention before. Uh, he's an Army Ranger, uh, a leadership consultant. I think this is a great line that he has when it comes to this. I think a great definition of mental toughness is the ability to consistently perform to the upper range of your talent and skill, regardless of the situation and circumstances, right? I love that. And, and if you think of things like, you know, an NFL quarterback or, or where, you know, pro athlete, like what, it doesn't matter what's happening, right? They are completely focused on that. Um, you know, the difference between like a special operator and a, and a, and, you know, and a regular combat soldier is that special operator, that last 10 yards is so, is so difficult. That's where they, you know, have to make a, a, a precision shot, right? Precision, uh, you know, one inch shot they have to make. So, uh, you know, JV says it himself, uh, I think, and this is something that we all really encourage our players to do is routine and consistency. What's your routine? What's your consistency in, in adhering to your routine? Now, much easier said than done. All right. We've all been in coaches rooms. We have to deal with uh, academics. We have to deal with financial aid or scholarships or the AD. There's so many different things throughout a day that we have to deal with. I think that's an excuse. I think that's absolutely an excuse. And if we expect our players to have a routine to be at their best, I think we have to expect that out of ourselves as well. So maybe there's time that you put out through a day that, okay, this is important to me. I, I'm turning my phone off and I'm watching video with this player at this time every week. I mean, there's so many different things that we can do. So I would encourage everybody um, in, in how you're spending your time, really think about that and really evaluate that because what is important to you? in getting your job done to the best of your ability. How do you do that? What is important to your team winning hockey games? Okay. And then are those answers to those questions in harmony with how you spend your time during your day? If relationships is 70% of the, the job that you think is important um, into having a winning program and having a winning culture, and we only spend 15% of our time during our day, focusing on relationships, there's, there's a disconnect there. 
You know, if we're watching video for six hours a day, even though we might know what exactly everybody else is doing all the time, um, is that more beneficial than having more meetings with your players um, and, you know, putting it into your routine every week of, of what you're doing. And so, uh, you know, I've been able to reflect, I'm sure a lot of other people have been able to reflect and a lot of people that are the, the best in the world at what they do, they are so productive and efficient with their time. And the other thing that that does, and listen, our, our business and, and our profession, our jobs is stressful. You know, we all want to win. We're all passionate about what we do. And because of that, it's stressful because we want to be the best version of us. I guarantee you, when you think about um, how you spend your time and, and you really get a routine that works for you and your players know that maybe even at this time is when I can go into coach and at this time is when he's making recruiting calls and at this time is when he's watching video, um, that's going to um, de-stress you so much because I, you know, I know as a coach when watching videos, if a player comes in <laughs> and, and that player's like, Hey coach, let's watch some video. I'm never going to say no. I'm never going to say no, but there might be four other things that I have to do that day that uh, you know, that I won't be able to do. And now I got to stay up till 11 o'clock at night and I have to sacrifice other things to make sure that that gets done because I have to have this relationship with the player. Well, what if the players know that, Hey, if I have an issue with coach, I know that from 11 to 12, he's blocked out that time where I can go in and talk to him or I can go and watch video. I can quote unquote surprise him <laughs> um, with, with, with anything. And so I just, how I, I would encourage everybody to really evaluate how you spend your time throughout a day. I think if you do that, you'll be more efficient as a coach. It'll be a lot less stressful. Um, and I've learned a lot of that from, from you all in, in being able to do this. And I've learned a lot of that from doing a lot of different research as well. So um, I want to end this with coach Riley again. Um, it just, this fires me up so much and I hope it fires you guys up as well. I think if any of us can have half of the passion for what we do uh, as, as coaches, as leaders, as human beings, as coach Riley does for, for his program. Um, I, I think we'd all be better for it. So I'll end, I'll end with this. You know, the opportunity to coach at West point and to somehow have a small part in shaping and develop young men that are going to lead this nation's sons and daughters makes this the most rewarding and humbling coaching job. And I'll even say best coaching job in all of sports, um, I truly have the best coaching job uh, in, in all of sports. Um, that rink behind me, that's a leadership laboratory. West Point's a preeminent leadership institution in the world. And, and so um, when you go to a graduation here at West Point and you see them call up your players' names, and I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about that, um, you know you know that as a result of them being players that they are ready to go out and lead. I think that's ultimately all what we're looking for. Um, yeah. As, as coaches is to be as passionate about our, our kids and as passionate about our program as, as coach Riley is about his. And so uh, I just want to say to everybody that's on here, I have no idea who's on here right now. I can't see it. Um, but how much I appreciate our, our friendships how much I appreciate our relationships, how much I appreciate you opening up to me 
uh, about a lot of the stuff that, that, that you do because it's, it's made me better in, in all aspects of my life. So um, in all of that you have given back to make me better, hopefully this presentation and learning from you can, can help some other people be better as well. And so um, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. This is uh, so much fun to reconnect with everybody. And uh, if, if you have any questions or anything like that, feel free to, to get a hold of me at any time. So um, we, I don't know if there was any questions that came through the chat or anything, but um, thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. Yeah, Tof, uh, thanks. Great job. Um, a couple questions did pop up, so I'll just pass them over to you now. Um, so first question, after having these combos with these coaches, how do you take the lessons learned and develop the mindset of the young players you coach? Oh, that's a great question. And, and I think that's a lot of it comes down to consistency in what you do. Um, consistency in, in how you prepare for um, development. And I've had a lot of different conversations with a lot of different people about hockey development and the best part about it is there's, I don't think there's one right way of, of thinking about it, but I think in talking with a lot of people, uh, the best ones that I've been able to learn from is there's consistency with preparation in making sure that they're doing things on an everyday basis to make sure their players are getting better. And they invest a lot of time, not just in um, their preparation of what they do um, from like a whole team standpoint, but they invest a lot of time into individual development as well. And that's hard. That's really hard. You know, people we're, we're coaching, you guys are coaching a lot of players and it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of time to really invest in the growth of each one of your players individually. But are you setting goals with them? Um, are you making sure that you're putting structures in place to make sure that they're achieving those goals on an everyday basis? And then ultimately leading the way and doing those same things that you expect um, and modeling the way with your players and doing them yourselves. So I think it's just a lot of, uh, um, it's kind of a cliche answer, but it's like really just putting your money where your mouth is and executing on what you believe development is. That's great. That's great. Thanks, Tof. One more question in here. Um, if you're not a natural leader or uncomfortable in that setting, how can you be authentic when thrust into a leadership role? I guess if it doesn't come naturally, you, you were talking about being authentic. If it doesn't come naturally, how, do you, how can you be authentic? Um, surround yourself with good people. I think is number one, what kind of culture are, are you and what type of people are you surrounded by? And, and then with that, it's not really answering the question, but I think that's a huge piece of people being able to be vulnerable is, is, you know, loving the people that you're around. Um, but at the same time, it, again, it's a cliche answer, but we have to, we have to put ourselves out there and be comfortable and being uncomfortable. Um, you know, we live in a world right now, and this is something that I see with, with kids all the time being at the youth levels. Like we are so, um, we so worry about what other people think. Um, and I don't know if anybody here listens to Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V he's somebody that's had a really big effect on me over the past couple of months that I've getting into him. And, and he talks about all the time, how really, really high achievers, um, when they're able to get outside their comfort zone and really just not care what other people think and be comfortable in their own skin, that that's a really, really hard thing to do. Um, but 
I, I think part of the answer to that is you just got to do it and you got to be okay and being, um, being okay with, with failing and being okay with, with putting yourself out there um, and having a support group to, to support you when you do that is, is, is huge. I think honest conversation, um, I think, you know, maybe telling people I'm, I'm not comfortable with certain things and then seeing what their reaction to that, because a lot of times our perception of what other people think is not actually what they think. So you might think that if you're going to do something, other people are going to think a certain way about you. But if you're upfront with them and say, hey, I'm going to try this um, and, and uh, just, you know, how, how are you going to do with that? I think that's a huge piece to it, too. So hopefully I answered the question, but um, just trying not to be afraid of failure, trying not to worry about what other people think and understanding that, um, you know, what other people think a lot of times isn't what you think they think, I think. <laughs> That's great, Tov. Um, one more question just came in um, as, as we're fielding these live. Um, when, le when leadership comes back on an issue with underclassmen, um, with uh, a scenario like we tried, but they don't listen to us. Beyond being a dictator, is there a way to get those players to command the room without creating a divide? I, I am a huge, huge proponent, and, and I've seen this. I've seen this when I've gone and done team building with uh, Division One and Division Three teams, Honest, upfront conversation, I think, is the best way to go about um, rectifying these things. Um, some of the coaches that I've done these um, team building things with, they don't want to be in the room and they want the players to address the issues with each other. Um, and, and it might not be easy conversations. Uh, I've been in rooms and locker rooms with just players on the team where this exact thing has, has come about. And when you have a facilitator in there that might not have skin in the game, that's just there to facilitate and can encourage people to be open and speak up. Um, I think that does wonders, honest, open, tough conversations are the best antidote in my opinion to these types of situations. And when these situations fester, because I think we can all agree that the most damage that can be done to any culture in situations like this is the talking at the dinner table or when you're playing video games, the, the quote unquote meetings after the meetings, when the gossip and all that stuff, you know, this guy's not doing this, this guy's not doing that. And then it, that negativity just absolutely spreads throughout a team. But that honest conversation of bringing those people into a room and giving them the freedom to, to express their thoughts openly in without judgment, um, I think that is a powerful, powerful thing. And I've, I've seen it I, and I've seen the wonders that it can do. I think letting it fester is the worst thing. And I think addressing it head on. Um, and again, it might not be rectified right away. There's no question. It might not be rectified right away, but I, I think that honest and open conversation, even though, um, it, it, it might hurt in the, in the short term. I think at the end of the day, everybody getting their grievances out there and getting perspective because when a younger guy can hear an older guy talk openly, that, that player's had a lot of experiences and he's coming from a different place than the younger guy. The older guy, he hasn't lived in the shoes of, of the younger guy as well. And so for, for them to hear, and a lot of times it's just a disconnect of miscommunication. 
Um, and so just upfront, I know it's a long winded answer to the question, but I've, I've seen the power in my team building of doing it where you, you get it out on the table. You have a facilitator there that, that can help. Um, I think that can really, really do wonders. So thank you so much. Uh, there haven't been any more questions popping in here. Um, so we just want to thank you from the AHCA and, and our whole body. And we have a ton of guys out here watching them, watching the numbers creep up. So uh, great job, man. Uh, really appreciate it.